I'm Dr. Jessica Zwirling, and today I'm going to review the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. The first topic or question I want to discuss is, why is early detection of Alzheimer's disease important, and what can primary care clinicians do to help improve the detection of mild cognitive impairment? Under the best circumstances, the care of older adults, especially those with cognitive impairment, is challenging due to sensory difficulties, poor health literacy, chronic medical conditions. Access to primary care is critical. Early and accurate diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, which our model at Montefiore Einstein emphasized, offers benefits to both patients and caregivers, including education on the progression of the disease, advanced financial, legal, medical, and caregiver planning, access to clinical trials and new treatment modalities, and medications which can alleviate or slow the progression of symptoms. In addition, most importantly, access to community-based support services. The care of older adults, especially those with cognitive impairment, is a challenging task due to language barriers, sensory difficulties, poor health literacy, chronic medical conditions, and lack of transportation options to doctors. New York has 10 centers of excellence for Alzheimer's disease that are supported by the Department of Health. The Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's Disease is also known as a CIAD, and we developed a comprehensive telehealth program to help alleviate the transportation barrier and bring medical care into patient and caregiver homes. This model of care that we have is comprehensive, and at our center, there are multiple disciplines evaluating the patient and the caregiver, including geriatrics, neurology, neuropsychology, social work, as well as geriatric psychiatry. Other barriers to managing effectively dementia include socioeconomic factors affecting patients and caregivers. The social determinants of health, many of which are beyond the scope of the medical community, remain a steadfast focus of care at the CIADS. Identification of these issues facilitates referrals to appropriate community-based organizations and government agencies for services. And for example, at our hospital, in our electronic medical record, we have configured in our system screening for social determinants of health that's related to the patient's needs. Core geriatric issues like weight loss, malnutrition, polypharmacy, sensory deficits, gait, balance problems, sleep dysfunction, chronic illnesses, safety, home care needs, behavioral symptoms, as well as caregiver stress are highly prevalent in patients with cognitive impairment and only have been exacerbated by this COVID-19 pandemic. A significant focus of our social work engagement with the dyad is focusing on caregiver stress which is an under-recognized and under-treated health risk that can lead to poor outcomes, not only for caregivers, but to the, their loved ones with dementia. And this can include higher rates of morbidity and mortality. This is especially valid amongst marginalized populations and amongst patients with that are Hispanic, Black, and, and Asian American. These caregivers may have tend to health issues themselves, including a high chronic disease burden. There may be less outside help in family structures and formal service utilization and greater depression may be prevalent in these populations. The next question I wanted to address is which tools are best to screen for cognitive impairment and which tools are best for further evaluation of suspected cognitive impairment. 
so I'm going to bring you into our office. Cognitive impairment, including dementia, is frequently underdiagnosed in primary care settings, despite the availability of numerous valid assessment tools. This delays the initiation of treatment of early and reversible conditions, medical and support services, and critical care planning. For primary care physicians who don't have access in their own system-based protocols around dementia, there are the following validated tools that I would recommend that you can use for screening or to initiate a further workup. Cognitive impairment is underdiagnosed in, under in one quarter to over three quarters of patients. Some of the limitations include time and lack of understanding of which instrument to use. There are several well-validated instruments in older adults. There are several well-validated instruments that actually can be delivered by someone other than the primary care doctor. I would encourage health systems to think about the implementation using other professionals and, provide, and I'll provide this context for you in a bit now as we did in our health system. The MOCA or the Montreal Cognitive Assessment assesses multiple cognitive domains. It's available in many different languages. Compared with the mini mental status examination, the MOCA has been translated into multiple languages. It includes more robust measures of visual spatial executive functioning and has better performance in detecting cognitive impairment that's early. The mini mental status examination is confounded by charging a fee, requiring a copyright that's enforced, and there is some education as well as culture bias, but it does provide useful information on the performance of an individual with a concern for cognitive impairment. The ADA is a brief validated measure that reliably differentiates between non-demented and demented individuals. It can be used as a general screening device to detect cognitive chains regardless of etiology, and it can be used with many different types of informants. The ADA is validated for its administration with the caregiver, which is extremely useful. The mini-cog consists of a three-word recall and clock drawing. It's also validated in different languages in primary care settings, except one caveat I would like to point out. In some individuals may not be in tune to clocks. For instance, they may have worked outside in the fields and are conditioned to sun up and sun down, and clock drawing may not be culturally relevant. Low education negatively affected the detection using the mini mental status examination, whereas education did not affect the mini cog and low literacy minimally affected it. In my practice at Montefiore Einstein in New York, a dementia pathway was created by myself and my geriatric colleagues under our HRSA grant at our Montefiore health system using current evidence-based literature with guidance from the American Academy of Neurology or the AAN and an expert panel. It's really important that the dementia pathways start with asking a question and not screen all universe, universally all adults. Older adults should express a cognitive concern before initiating a cognitive screen. The dementia pathway starts with our system with an allied health professional applying the following screening questions on all patients undergoing our Medicare annual wellness visit or the AWV. During the past 12 months, have you experienced confusion or memory loss that is happening more often or getting worse? This is our trigger question for initiating an additional validated screen. If the patients or the caregivers answer yes, the patient is considered to be a potential 
um, to have cognitive impairment. And at that point, the provider, who again could be an allied health professional, will perform a validated screen to further assess for cognitive impairment. Patients are also assessed for depression, which is often a confounder in this population, and we use the PHQ-2. It's important to note that validated screening tools do not have to be given by a primary care clinician. They can be given again by different allied health professionals, which could be a social worker, a nurse extender, an LPN, depending upon the specific workflow of your practice. The results can be shared with the clinician so they can then follow a clinical pathway to determine what steps are needed next. For instance, a reversible workup with a B12 and thyroid. So that initial clinical pathway will be generated by a, a complaint in a patient generated by that question in addition to a validated test that will be given. Although Medicare doesn't specify the screening instrument to be used in the annual wellness visit, our Montefiore protocols recommend a validated tool, and I would encourage you to choose the same, or one of the several instruments I've mentioned above. Dr. Joe Vergaze, a colleague of mine, led to the development of a validated cognitive screening tool to be used in the primary care, and it's called the, memory and the Picture Memory Impairment Screen, or the PMIS. This is easily delivered. It's a culture fair tool. It involves having a patient look at four pictures, we generate clues uh, so that they can um, register and st store this information. And after a few minutes of diverting discussions, and we then ask them to recall those images. The PMIS is available to all clinicians in our network throughout the EMR. It's an easy to use clinical screening tool to identify individuals with cognitive impairment as a prelude for further detailed testing and for really looking to see if there's a cognitive issue and to further help us informing diagnosis. The PMIS had good sensitivity and specificity for identifying dementia in our ethnically diverse referral population of individuals with cognitive complaints and we've published on this. It takes about four minutes to administer, not a huge burden, including a two minute interference period, and it provides good utility in very busy clinical settings. It's non-discriminatory in regards to culture and literacy, and it's really important, uh, that issue, in regards to ethically diverse populations that we serve. The performance has been really, very well described, and the validation study originally was set in India. A score of two points is awarded for each picture. There are four pictures, so a total of eight. If you score six, seven, or eight, that is considered a normal score. A score less than five indicates, less than or equal to five, indicates that you need to generate that next clinical pathway for looking at reversible causes. Given the diverse population, that we serve, uh, Montefiore has pioneered the development of this culture fair cognitive testing instrument in our annual wellness visit. The detection of this culture fair instrument demonstrated a sensitivity of over 68% and a specificity of 81% for uh, detecting dementia in the Bronx. So how is co mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease diagnosed? Mild cognitive impairment, also called MCI, is a condition characterized by memory issues or other thinking problems that are greater than normal for a person's age and education, but really not seriously enough to interfere with a person's ability to function independently. 
Alzheimer's disease or um, people with MCI due to Alzheimer's disease have biomarker evidence of Alzheimer's brain changes plus new but subtle symptoms such as problems with memory, language, or thinking. These cognitive problems can be noticed by the individual, very important to get collaborative information from family members and friends, but they may not be obvious to others. And they may not interfere with an individual's ability to carry out their daily activities. They may be using a lot of compensatory strategies. The subtle problems with memory and language and thinking abilities occur when the brain can no longer compensate for the damage and the death of neurons caused by Alzheimer's disease. Everyone who develops Alzheimer's disease first experiences mild cognitive impairment and the rate of conversion from mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's disease can bear anywhere from 10 to 15% per year. Dementia due to Alzheimer's disease or Alzheimer's disease dementia is characterized by noticeable changes in memory, language, thinking, or behavioral symptoms that impair a person's ability to function in daily life. The impairment is not due to other underlying medical conditions such as delirium. The dementia pathway at our center was implemented so they're really actionable items when patients are screened at the annual wellness visit. For instance, if we're asking our primary care physicians to do the annual wellness visit, to spend the time doing screening for both depression, for cognitive impairment, we want to make sure that there's a pathway for action for the patients and caregivers and for provider satisfaction. It, is, it has additional best practices which the primary care physician can screen for. Sensory deficits, impairments in vision and hearing, falls assessment, if present there's an increased likelihood that perhaps cognitive impairment is at play and this is a comorbid issue. Substance abuse, which is high in our patient population, may be a confounder. Clinicians can order evidence-based testing for reversible causes of cognitive impairment and that includes B12, TSH, and imaging. This is non-contrast CT scan or non-contrast MRI. As a neurologist, we love the non-contrast MRI because we could look at volumes of hippocampi as well as white matter disease, but again, any imaging non-contrast is appropriate. Clinicians are asked then to identify red flags in the history, including a rapid progression of cognitive impairment or atypical features, including falls, motor movements, which may be suggested more of atypical dementias and not in your garden variety Alzheimer's disease. We know that the numbers of patients with cognitive impairment, the numbers of patients, especially in the area that I practice within, is quite high for Alzheimer's disease. And not everybody can get into a dementia specialist. So we created these red flags in our system for primary care physicians to then generate referrals to a neurologist or to a center of excellence for Alzheimer's disease. Other red flags include weight loss, frequent hospitalizations or ER visits or emergency room visits, and poorly controlled chronic diseases like diabetes, which re may require further assessment from geriatricians. I can say that sometimes a lot of the revolving door with hospitalizations may be not due that the diabetes itself is out of control. It may be due to the fact that the patient um, has cognitive impairment. It's not because of retinopathy that they can't see their insulin syringe or they can't feel a syringe from neuropathy. It may be because they have a cognitive impairment and they're unable to manage their medication. 
So we want to make sure that we can intervene, recognize those red flags, and stop those hospitalizations and really do well by our patients and caregivers in recognizing cognitive impairment. Recognizing that there are biological changes that happen prior to the onset of systems, a state called preclinical Alzheimer's disease is important. The state is being redefined. The landscape of Alzheimer's disease and detection of Alzheimer's disease and treatment of Alzheimer's disease is an ever-changing landscape now. It involves the use of biomarker tests. Amyloid beta protein and total tau levels um, change over years before the onset of dementia. This has been shown in cerebral spinal fluid through lumbar punctures. MRI can show atrophy. Um, on the MRI, FTG, PET, fluorodeoxy uh, glucose scans can show hypometabolism. The changes associated with Alzheimer's disease, again, can be detected many years prior to the onset of symptoms. Biomarkers are certainly going to be integrated into the criteria and stratified according to levels of neurodegeneration. While a definitive diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease requires some histopathologic examination, the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease in clinical practice relies on clinical criteria that were updated in 2011 by the NIA and the Alzheimer's Association, and a link can be provided in a list of resources at the end of this podcast for further review. In 2018, the diagnostic criteria were updated and this has moved a little bit towards the ATN framework, which groups different biomarkers by pathological processes that each measures. In the ATN framework, A stands for amyloid, T for tau, N stands for neurodegeneration. The current NIAA criteria in 2023 is starting to be revised. The updated criteria will now define Alzheimer's disease on a biologic basis rather than a syndromic presentation. In other words, the new proposed criteria is a transition of guidelines from a research framework and for clinical use. For the new proposed criteria, AD can be diagnosed by any abnormal core Alzheimer's disease biomarker of disease progression, vascular disease, or multiple pathologies. Again, looking at ratios of A beta 4240 in the CSF, P tau, amyloid PET, this is looking at biomarkers uh, for the detection and the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. And this new criteria is important. It harnesses the heterogeneity and the complexity of cognitive impairment and dementia in older people. However, the knowledge in primary care of competing or dual pathologies is often lacking. We recognize that primary care clinics are struggling with patient visits, especially patients with chronic disease burden. Just doing medical reconciliation can take a long time. They're struggling with screening and the diagnostic phase can be quite complex as highlighted in the new criteria. So furthermore, focusing primary care is also to reduce disparities and by increasing screening and cognitive impairment. It is very uh, important to recognize that we work, may work closely with our primary care colleagues to help increase the detection of this disease by starting with screening, by starting to ask the question of patients if they're concerned. 
i want to note that only the draft version of these revised biologic diagnostic criteria were available at the time of this recording in december twenty twenty three so please check the alzheimer's association website to see if a final version has been published if you're interested in learning more the next topic i'd like to explore with you is what biomarkers exist for alzheimer's disease and what is their role in diagnosis and management Again, I'd like to highlight that even before someone develops symptoms like memory loss, individuals have measurable brain changes. Changes are going on in the brain many years before the onset of symptoms. And this may indicate the earliest signs of Alzheimer's disease. Biomarkers, the presence of these positive biomarkers without any symptoms is a preclinical Alzheimer's disease phase. Examples of Alzheimer's biomarkers include abnormal levels of beta amyloid as shown on PET scans or positive emission tomographies. And in analysis of their cerebrospinal fluid through lumbar punctures where there are changes in tau protein and amyloid ratio. There are some plasma biomarkers that are in development. Um, while some of the criteria do not require biomarkers for diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, there is, as we review the new proposed criteria, and certain biomarkers would be considered diagnostic of Alzheimer's disease. In the near future, there may be biomarker testing via blood that may become more widely at use, but this has not been incorporated into pathways at this time, and they may be more widely available for helping identify patients um, with Alzheimer's disease. In addition to the role of diagnosis, biomarkers are indicative of the presence of amyloid are also required for patients to qualify for certain treatments. Two of the new FDA-approved drugs for monoclonal antibodies are aimed at changing the underlying biology of the disease, the deposition of amyloid in the brain that happens many years before symptoms. They're removing the beta amyloid from the brain, looking to slow cognitive and functional decline in people living with Alzheimer's disease. They were studied and approved for use in people with Alzheimer's disease. They received FDA approval, and their approval includes um, patients with mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia due to Alzheimer's disease who ha also have evidence of a buildup of beta amyloid in the brain based on brain imaging like PET amyloid or CSF analysis. Therefore, it's imperative that testing for presence of beta amyloid be ordered by specialists prior to considering any of these treatments. The final topic that I'd like you to join me with is which parts of the workup for cognitive impairment should be done by the primary care clinician and what should be done by a specialist? When is referral to a specialist warranted? Again, the care of the older adult is quite complex and challenging. It includes addressing home safety, home care needs, behavioral and psychiatric needs, and caregiver stress. Screening tools are important for the primary care physician, as well as knowing when to refer to outside practices for more comprehensive care. In our health system, our model addresses complexity well. Our attention to geriatric syndromes, such as frailty, falls, and polypharmacy highlight modifiable risk factors for cognitive decline and care plans that are shared with families and the referring provider to support continuity of care.
our center has developed training programs for primary care and specialty providers that emphasizes comprehensive interdisciplinary plans, increasing access to clinical trials, especially in marginalized populations where they're underrepresented, and attention to medical issues that extend beyond cognitive impairment. Better informed providers that work collaboratively to assist patients and caregivers with all of their concern results in less stressful and more hopeful lives. It is important to treat patients and caregivers as a dyad. Attention must be given to caregivers as an especially vulnerable population with higher rates of stress, depression, and cognitive impairment themselves. Traditional medical and dementia models tend to ignore caregivers. Building on existing protocols and the participation and link to government, to community-based service partners, a system like ours that really works to continue to identify caregiver stress, to develop comprehensive care plans, offering counseling, support groups, to facilitate access to vital caregiver services and programs is crucial. Once patients, either through a follow-up exam or annual wellness visit, are asked if they're having trouble with their memory, more often are getting worse, a validated screen is given by the primary care physician. A workup for reversible causes of impairment like B12, thyroid screening, depression screens, substance abuse screens, HIV or syphilis screens in certain populations, as well as non-contrast neuroimaging can be conducted by primary care clinicians. If needed, a referral for further neuropsychological testing can be made by primary care physicians. Growing evidence shows that screening for sleep apnea is prudent in the context of managing vascular risk factors as well as cognitive impairment. If there are red flags, repeat hospitalizations, abnormal movements, behavioral disturbance, rapid progression where one patient is normal a year before and completely abnormal and dependent in a lot of ADLs within a year, that is not your typical pattern for garden variety Alzheimer's disease. If their symptoms are below the age of 65, these are the red flags when a referral to a comprehensive center focused on memory, cognition, and care of the patient caregiver diet is appropriate. At this time, more advanced testing and the evaluation of Alzheimer's disease like amyloid PET imaging, testing of other CSF biomarkers, blood biomarkers, has been primarily in the realm of specialty care. If you feel your patients would benefit from more advanced testing or you're having difficulty and challenged to make a diagnosis, then please refer to your local geriatric or dementia specialist. Before we end today's podcast, I wanted to summarize with a few key takeaways. Some key points that we have reviewed. Over one quarter to three quarters of patients with cognitive impairment may go unrecognized. It's important to recognize and use early detection of cognitive impairment through valid screening instruments. Utilizing culture fair instruments such as the picture memory impairment screen or standardizing the use of other validated instruments such as the minicog are prudent in the identification of cognitive impairment in older adults. Understanding the patient caregiver dyad journey, especially in marginalized populations, and understanding that caregivers are at higher risk for deleterious consequences and poor health outcomes themselves is prudent. Initiation of a workup for cognitive concerns that includes screening, MRI imaging or CT scan without contract, basic labs, and perhaps a referral for neuropsychological testing in some cases is appropriate for primary care clinicians. 
biomarkers including PET imaging and CSF and perhaps plasma detection of proteins like amyloid and tau proteins are entering our rubric and flow pathways in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Biomarker tests are currently primarily the domain of specialists as part of the workup and diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Certain biomarkers like amyloid PET scan and CSF amyloid levels are also required for approval before considering patients for a new disease modifying therapy, such as the monoclonal antibodies recently approved by the FDA. Thank you for joining me and learning about the detection of cognitive impairment and the landscape of Alzheimer's disease.